welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to talk to you about the text of Genesis chapter 15. That's right. We've made it to 15. Uh, also, quick sidebar, we heard that the audio is kind of janky on yep. chapter 14. We apologize. We're planning on re-uploading it. So if you were frustrated by that, again, sorry, we're on a learning curve and look for it to be re-released soon. Yeah, so thanks for hanging with us through our noob podcast experience. <laughs> our errors, our learning curve, however you want to spin that one. Yeah, so uh, this audio will hopefully be better. And yes, I will slowly be working through those older episodes to correct some of the uh, more muted audio files. So That's right. I mean, but you could hear the text. Right. Yeah, just no. <laughs> uh, that plus a one-sided conversation. That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I before we get ourselves in more trouble, I'm going to start reading chapter 15 of the Scroll of Bereshit. Okay. Take it away. Here we go. After these words, the word of Yahweh was to Avram in a vision to say, Do not fear, Avram. I am a shield to you. Your wage is very increased. Avram said, Lord Yahweh, what will you give to me? I am walking stripped of children, and the son of Meshech of my house, unknown, is Damashek Eliezer. Avram said, Look here, to me you have given no seed. Look here, the son of my house is my possessor. Look here, the word of Yahweh said to him, this will not possess you, but one who leaves from your soft parts, he will possess you. He caused him to leave toward the outside. He said, please gaze toward the heavens. Count the stars if you are able to count them. He said to him, such will be your seed. He trusted in Yahweh. He thought justice to him. He said to him, I am Yahweh that caused you to leave from Ur of Kashdim to give you this land to possess. He said, Lord Yahweh, in what will I know that I will possess it? He said to him, take to yourself a three-year-old female circling cow, a three-year-old stout female goat, a three-year-old strong ram, a searching turtle dove, and a vulnerable nestling. He took to himself all of these. He cut them in the middle. He gave each to call to its neighbor. The bird he did not cut. The violent rushing birds descended upon the carcass. Avram blew at them. When the sun was coming, a heavy snoring sleep fell upon Avram. Look, terror and dark, great darkness fell upon him. He said to Avram, Knowing you will know that your seed will be guests in a land not for them. They will serve them and oppress them for 400 years. Also, the nation that they serve, I will subjugate into justice. After this, they shall leave in great possession. You, you shall come to your fathers in peace and will be buried in a good gray age. In the fourth era, they will return. Look here, for the twistedness of the emori is not yet complete. When the sun came and it was dusk, look here. A smoking cauldron and a torch of fire passed over between these cut pieces. 
On that day, Yahweh cut Avram a cut agreement to say, To your seed I have given this land, from the river of Mitzrayim to the great river, the river Prat, the Keni, the Knizi, the Kadmoni, the Prizi, the Healers, the Emori, the Kanaani, the Girgashi, and the Yuvusi. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lot in there, as always. Yeah, and and uh, enjoyable too. I, um, I I spent a lot of time looking at this passage, just thinking about um, uh, beyond just the interesting things you've done with the translation and the text, just the unusualness of this chapter on its own. Yeah, uh, there's so much going on here that um, is kind of new in the story mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, uh, create some interesting uh, narrative uh, when you look at the story of Avram as a whole. So I'm excited to get into it and talk about these different things that you have here and Absolutely. some of the uh, observations that I made in the text and um, personal uh, theories. Personal mixed theories, in. yeah, mixed in. No, it, <laughs> it should be fun. I, I'm looking forward to it. Great. So uh, for our listeners, I've split this into two sections this time. Um, and the first section is going to be verses 1 through 11, and the second section will be verses 12 through 21 um, to the end of the chapter. So only two sections this time, um, but it made sense based on how this is divided. uh, Thematically. Thematically. So uh, first off, I thought it was interesting that Yahweh comes to Avram in a vision Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is our first vision in the text Mm. um, that occurs. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about visions uh, and their significance? Because I do feel like this is is different. Before God has appeared to Avram, right, and just shown up, like, here I am, check it out. But here it says specifically a vision. Right. So, I mean... The way that I, the way that we translate appeared, it's the word to see, but in its causative form to all my intermediate Hebrew students, it's in hefil. Um, So he caused him to see him. So it doesn't rule out that there's a vision happening, but here we do specifically have the word for visions. We also have place of visions in the previous chapter, right? So we have... Um, it makes sense that he's near the place of visions and mm. he has this vision. Yeah, backing well, up my theory that that's what's going on there. Well, in the in the the rabbis seem to make this distinction. Also, I found in some of my research that Avram received both God appearing and visions from God. So interesting. They do dis- make a distinguishment, at least in their midrash and their teachings, but. Um, um, we also see it in the text. Yeah, I mean, non-cessationist Protestantism is not, I mean, cessationist Protestantism is not big on visions in general, but right. it's a big deal in Judaism. It's a common thing in Judaism. It's just another spiritual pathway or a spiritual discipline um, that you can prepare for and strategize to have a vision. Um, and it's possible that that was the case at this time too, right? If you have a place of visions, again, we talked about maybe there were plants around yeah. <laughs> aided with such things. It's hard to say. Or, you know, you can go with this is just how God appeared to people at this particular time. And that's fine, too. But uh, it is interesting that it's specific this time versus the other times. Mm -hmm. Like um, maybe 
maybe in this moment of crisis that it seems like Avram is experiencing, he needs a more tangible, you know, rather than just a voice in the void, he needs a vision of, of God. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then it goes on to say, uh, do not fear Avram. I am a shield to you. Your wage is very increased. Yep. And uh, I also thought that that was an interesting statement to make, that I am a shield to you. Right. Um, if you're just reading along, blah, 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 it comes up in the Psalms all the time, and you're like, yeah, sure, cool, God. But right. like, why here? He's never announced that before. Um, yeah. We just had the story of Melchizedek, you know, maybe. Well, and you would almost expect that to become coming before that story. Don't worry, Avram, go rescue Lot. I'll be a shield for you. Right. But no, God is quiet during that exchange. Yeah. Uh, maybe now he has some PTSD or is concerned about this continuing to happen with the political atmosphere. Right. And so maybe that's why God steps in. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it made me think about uh, the position that God is portraying himself in mm -hmm. is not the, uh, if you think about warfare in this time, uh, like with David and Goliath, Goliath had a dude standing in front of him with a shield, yeah. right? That's a separate person, a separate job right. in warfare. You have a, a person holding a big shield and you have the person behind them with weapons and stuff. Uh -huh. And so God making this statement of, I am your shield, uh -huh. but that comes with an expectation I think, I feel like that you are the sword of God in a way. Right. Yeah. And I think that really fits and is a great point because the way Avram responds is by calling him Lord, which is the word Adonai. So I leave Yahweh Yahweh because mm. um, a couple of different reasons, but one of them is when we remove Yahweh and replace it with a different word like God or Adonai, um, which means Lord, then we lose the importance of when someone's actually being addressed as Adonai or God or Lord. Yeah. And those are distinct. So here, like Lord is part of a vassal Lord relationship, right? If you think medieval, you have a, or a cesarean covenant, right? You have a Lord whose job it is to protect the servants. The servants do the bidding of the Lord, um, the vassals, do whatever it is that the legacy of that household or estate is up to and the Lord protects them when, you know, rogue knights come through and start burning everything. Right. And so God is kind of presenting post all this military chaos, presenting himself to Avram maybe for the first time as being part of uh, that being a major part of their relationship. And Avram immediately recognizes that and responds to him by calling him Lord Yahweh rather than just right. God or, or Yahweh. Yeah. Well, and it puts Avram in this uh, active, right? God saying, I'm your shield, but you have to be active in this. And I, I do agree that Avram kind of picks up on that because in verse two, you have in your translation, it says, uh, Avram replies with, I am walking stripped of children mm -hmm. um, and specifically that he is walking right god has called him to walk uh -huh. um, and traverse this land and he's saying i'm doing this right um, i'm doing my job as a vassal yeah and i, I appreciate uh, this is something specifically about your translation in verse two i appreciate you saying walking specifically mm -hmm. uh when i looked at the esv uh niv and kjv they mm -hmm. they translated um it differently, which isn't necessarily bad, but it doesn't stir up the same thoughts in my mind mm -hmm. as this does. So the ESV says, I continue childless. Mm 
huh. right? Which to me is more passive. Like I'm just continuing right. in my life. Just going on. Yeah. NIV, I remain childless. Interesting. KJV, I go childless. So KJV kind of gets there. It's the closest. They get partway. They say, I go childless. But this idea of I am walking. Right. Um, stripped of tr- children right. is very accusatory. Right. Somebody yeah. has to strip that from you. And he's throwing that right back at God. I'm stripped of children, even right. though I am doing what you keep saying for me to do. Right. Okay. So two things there. So it's the word halach, which is one of the first verbs that we learned because it's so common and it just means walking. Like if mm-hmm. I'm going to walk to the store, halach uh, Um But it's in present tense. So it's definitely I am walking. Um, and then the word that usually gets translated childless, sometimes barren, does have a stripped connotation. Like you had something and it's been removed from you, um, that you're desolate is the idea. Um, error is the word, um, kind of, it has, it's linked to nakedness. If you remember from Genesis three, probably, um, that's the same Right, Adam word. sees his nakedness. Right, and so that's why I went with stripped rather than desolate because desolate is kind of like ruined. Um, but mm. if it's connected to nakedness, so imagining he's seeing children as part of, you know, your covering, part of what makes your your regular household normal, right? You put on your clothes, yeah. you have your children, you go out and you work in the fields. He doesn't have any of that and he feels stripped of them. Yes. Yeah, well, and you know, you can only imagine his mindset here. He's been through a lot since leaving uh, his Ooh, homeland. Right. He's been through a ton um, of different events. Um, yeah. And is uh, I am sure wrestling with this. And um, God shows up here unprompted, right? Before uh, we've seen Avram like building building altars and stopping in these spots, right? Mm -hmm. But he's been waiting at this place of vision for- For a while. For seemingly a while, right? Um, And God just shows up one day. I mean, after the Lot story, but God just shows up and he's like, hey, Hello. Glad yeah. you're here because I have a few things to say. Well, I mean, God shows up and he says, don't fear, I'm a shield, your wages increased, um, which is also fascinating. Like, what is it about the previous, the fact that he said no to the possessions? Mm-hmm. Like he said yes to Pero's possessions, but he said no to Melchizedek's yeah. possessions. Well, and said no so that they can't say that you made me wealthy. Right. right. Which is interesting because he didn't care about Pero making him right. <laughs> wealthy. But anyway, so Avram responds. Uh, it's it's this. It's called Vayiktol. When you have this setup where it says Avram said, and hmm. then it says and Avram said again, that's a new sentence. So like time has passed. Okay. So the vision happens. Avram responds. Then nothing happens, and he says it again, which is interesting. So these yeah. are separate times. It's not a continued interaction. Um, we don't know how long it was. Maybe it was an hour or right. three minutes, but it's been a while. Um, and that gets us to, we're going slowly here, but it's all good stuff. Son of Meshech. So I did not translate Meshech. It's what we call a hepax legomenon. Do you know what that is, George? Uh, I mean, I, 
Yes and no. Uh, from context, I'm assuming it's a very rare appearance, if not the only appearance. Excellent. It is. It does. It's Bible school speak for the only appearance okay. of a word in the text. So Meshach, we do not know what it is. Paul right? loves these. <laughs> oh, he sure does. Yes. But um, but if you want it, it gets translated air from context clues, right? Yeah, air. Um uh, I think I, I looked up a couple of the trans. Uh, steward was one of the translations for the King James. People just running wild. Um, uh, the one who will inherit is the NIV, and then ESV is heir of my house. Right. I'm. So what's interesting about that is there's a word meshech, which ends with a kaf rather than a kof. Um, so a totally different letter, and so the that would mean continuing. Mm. the son of the continuing of my house, right? And you can understand where air would come from in there, right? Yeah. Um, but so the question is whether this is a scribal error or a scribal amendation to the text. Okay. Um, and then we just left it there and didn't fix it, but still translate it kind of as if it's that, because otherwise we don't know what a son of Meshach is. It's gotcha. a mystery. Um, and then of my house, so the potential continuer of my house is Damashek uh, Eliezer. And I just want to point out before I'm sure you have stuff too, but Damashek usually is Damascus and usually it's blank of a place. So it's Paul of Tarsus, mm-hmm. right? Um, but here it comes first. It's like the the Damascus, the Syrian guy, Eliezer, it comes before his name because uh, he's pointing out primarily what's uh, wrong with it. Is the origin. Right. It's not just that he's not, you know, his biological son. It's also a problem. He's Syrian yeah. and therefore not part of this biological family he's trying to build. Right. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's a super good point. Um, and... Uh, uh, on a lesser note, I was curious, is there a difference between this Damashek and uh, Damasek? Uh, in no. chapter 15, I think it was a, just a, an S. Uh, no, there's not. It's, okay. just, um, it's just where you put the dot. Gotcha. Fine. Okay. And then um, tell me about Eliezer. Yeah, so his name means God is my help, which I forgot to um, include. Okay. Don't know why. Um, but so that's interesting. So that will be in there in the published work. <laughs> the published work as soon as somebody, uh, you know, wants to buy it. I haven't done any of that work, so no idea. Um, he has a Hebrew name. That's significant because he's Syrian. Right. Um, and he has, you know, a theological name. So it doesn't say Yahweh is my help. That would be Etzeriah. It's El Yetzer. Hmm. Um, so not necessarily a follower of Yahweh, yeah. but potentially. Uh, yeah, that makes me kind of think too about um, when we look at, I don't remember if it's specifically Isaac or Jacob having that tension between the God of my fathers and switching to my God. Uh-huh, yeah. I think that's Jacob. Is it Jacob? Okay. Yeah, that's what that makes me think of. Uh, not necessarily a, a relation, Connection, correlation yeah. there. But um, uh, I was also thinking about in this passage, like, what about Lot? Like, he just ignores Lot as an option entirely. I he mean, has a living, He has a living <laughs> relative nearby. He can probably see where he's camped out in the valley below him. Right. And he's like, eh, 
I don't have anybody except Eliezer. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and it's like, dude, you took him with you. Yep. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, that's super good point. Um, I mean, he apparently is a good judge of character. I am uh, not pro lot. I'm not with Peter on this one. Um, but yeah, good point. Yeah. Could have gone with his nephew. Could have gone with his nephew. Not feeling it. Yeah. Um, okay, moving forward. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the Lote thing is still just in my mind. As, uh, He's standing on the horizon going, oh, Right. Yeah, you can hear him. He's like, hey, man. <laughs> yeah. So rude. Okay. Uh, verse three. Uh, you have the son of my house is my possessor. Yeah. Which, man, what a perspective. And I noticed that possession is kind of a theme in this chapter. It comes up a number of times where he's talking about what about possessor? How will I know that I will possess it? Yeah. Um, who is going to possess these things, right? So possession comes up a lot. It's on his mind. Right. Um, it is a super interesting posture that he's holding because the word for inheritance is different. Like if you think Psalm 16, um, I lo, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's not this word. This word is to seize or to be occupied by. So you think, you know, settlers rushing in and taking your something from you. Uh, that's this word. Hmm. So he's, it's pretty interesting. Avram is not seeing sons. The word for son is ben, and it comes from the picture and the root of building. So yeah. every time you have a son, you're building up your legacy, you're building up your household, you're continuing in some way. And the meshech, if it was spelled right, um, shade to some scribe thousands of years, years ago, but um, would indicate that, right? Right now, the continuer, the one keeping on the family line, the family legacy, the family calling is Eliezer, and he's doing that. Um, Which is an interesting, like, narrative of adoption, right? It says, the son of my house, not like uh, a servant in my house, which NIV says servant, KJV just says one born in my house, mm -hmm. uh, ESV says a member of my household, yeah. but this says a son it's of my a house. Ben. So he could be saying Eliezer is the one who is continuing to build my house, mm -hmm. or who knows, maybe he slept with somebody else It's not included in the text for some reason, and it's his actual son. I don't think that's what's happening because it seems like it would be kind of key. Um, right, considering story. what else happens in the narrative. Right. Um, I think that would be a key and included, but he does call him a son, which yeah. um, he doesn't call Lot that. Right. Again, yeah. burn. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but seeing your kids, I mean, you know, the HBO show Succession that I stopped watching because it was too... Um, too much toxic oh yeah toxicity uh -huh. for me um it's that he doesn't want to pass on the family line because he sees these kids as not being good enough he sees them as trying to supplant him and usurp him and calling him his possessor uh certainly is evoking that same kind of image this person's stealing from me it's a weird way to view your actual kids, and I'll be interested to see once Yitzhak or, uh, is born mm, or Ishmael, if he still uses that word or if he's changed it to one that's less overtly negative. Right. Um, God meets him where he's at, though. He does. Yeah, in verse 4. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he doesn't say the son of your house will be one born from you. He says the one born from you will possess you. Well, and specifically... Uh, one who leaves from your soft parts. Yes. So specifying, look, you're going to have a kid. It's going to be yours, like specifically. 
Yes. Your child. Being as clear as possible. Right. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, yep. No questions about what that means. Um, fascinating. And then he makes him go outside. It says he causes him to leave. He doesn't yeah. which, invite uh, him to leave. He causes him to. Yeah. Causes him to leave, which is similar to uh, what he says in verse 7. I am Yahweh that caused you to leave from right. Ur of Kashtim. Yep. So, um, uh, the light of the demons, by the way, in case we've forgotten what that means. Right. I did go back uh, to... Uh, a chapter section. 11, I think, or 10, somewhere in there yes. is when that comes up. But um, yeah, so the idea of him causing him to leave is interesting. Uh, interesting, because it's not like there's no verbal uh, representation of that. It's like a side note in the text. Right. Um, Does he call him outside in such a compelling way that he has to? Does right. he take over his legs? Yeah. What's going on? Um, yep. I do think that the stars, emphasis on the stars, is contrasting God's light to the light of the demons, mm. or at least a light. The, oh, yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a contrast before the representation was with the sands of the earth, and now right. it's with the stars. Right. Um, and I like that it, it's including both heaven and earth in this mm. imagery that God's trying to share with him, right? Right. Um, and you could even say that um, referring to the sands is a more present and referring to the stars in the heavens is more of like a future. Future. You could, you could, but what I think of immediately is um, that God's the first rabbi, right? Rabbis only teach at what they can point oh, at. Oh, sure. So earlier, if he's in the desert, being like, right. see the sand? Right. <laughs> It'll be like that. And now right. he's outside and there's stars. See the stars? It'll be like that. Um, you can also do something with, again, I'm always trying to remind people that the idea of time and destiny was tied to the stars mm. in a way that we don't... Um, encapsulate in our vision of the world and how it works. Um, and so counting the stars is also talking about look and see if you can sketch out your destiny. Look at all these yeah. constellations and planets and everything. You think you you think you got that, kid? Yeah. It's kind of Job um, overtones there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and go. I'm going to jump back just a second. Something that just stood out to me as we mm -hmm. were talking is uh, in verse 4, but also in verse 1, you know, we were talking about visions, and I, it says the word of Yahweh said to him was mm -hmm. to Avram and to him to say um, the fact that it's not like necessarily an image of God, but the words of God coming to him in a vision. Right. I think is an interesting like note. Jesus uh, later, right? He calls himself the, the word. word, and yeah. it's the same in verse one. the The word of Yahweh was to Avram in a vision to say. Right. Yep. Yeah. So interesting that words are given this anthropomorphized yeah through saying right mm -hmm. they, they're, they're speaking so yes. uh interesting okay in verse six moving forward we have he trusted in yahweh he thought justice to him so yes. an important verse um, uh -huh. in the narrative of avram um, yep and paul and paul right um yeah yeah good point um so this this change in mentality avram was in a way complaining of God about his situation. Mm -hmm. um, and they have this back and forth conversation and we have this transition here of him turning to trust 
in Yahweh. Right. And um, then, in my opinion, he immediately turns away from it by saying, how will I know? Yeah, life is a roller coaster. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, but In he, this moment, we've got some trust. Yeah. But he thought justice to him. Yeah, it's a weird thing. So backtracking to even trust because yeah. that's often translated belief. Uh-oh. Um, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So that's the word amun from which we get amen that we say at the end of our all of our prayers for reasons that apparently we don't think about. But amen um, means something that is solid. It's something that is trustworthy. It's something that's faithful. Mm. It's something that you can lean on. It's tangible. Literally. Um, the picture is something solid that you can put your weight on yeah and so that's why i went with trust but so when we say amen at the end of our prayers we're saying these things are trustworthy and true which true in the sense of not not as in truthiness but true as in these Manifest. things are faithful yeah. and will are uh, are solid right. in which i can trust which should direct the way that we pray right because <laughs> right. if at the end i don't know my blah 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 these things are Faithful. Weird. Um, okay, so he trusted in Yahweh. He found Yahweh to be an entity, to be something in which he could find support that he can rest on, that he can count as solid. And then it says he, which by the way, does not say whether it's God thinking justice to Avram mm. or Avram thinking justice to God, but the word is chashav. Um, and chashav is super, super common, modern Hebrew. I was like, how are you doing? And be like, I don't know. I'm thinking about world peace. And it's just the word for think. Straightforward. Okay. It's just think. You can kind of um, say it's closer to mulling, like mulling over something. Um, in the Arabic, it's tied to weaving. When we're thinking, we're weaving our thoughts together. Um, but it's certainly not credited. <laughs> Surprise, there's no credit score in yeah. um, the Bronze Age. Well, Weird. Uh, we kind of see that trending um, continuing in this chapter, too. It, it, it stops specifying who's speaking except for the context of what they say and just goes to, he said to him, he said, he said to him, he took, he cut, he gave, he said. Right. Um, so just make that uh, maybe a switch there mm. um, in form. Yeah. It's something that's not said, which is interesting. Yeah. Like if it's God, why doesn't he say, I pronounce this. Right. <laughs> I say this to you. Um, and so it's extremely short in the Hebrew. It's chashav. Uh, wow, I can't talk. Chashav and then lo, which is the to him. And then tzedakah. So here's a <laughs> distinction split that uh, Marty and I have lots of talks about from Bema. Um, I am familiar. You're familiar. <laughs> I bet that you are. Um, we even had one this morning, mildly. But so tzedek, the word tzedek is the name of a Sumerian god that's been transliterated through different languages coming down through all the civilizations between Sumer and Israel. Uh, it's the name of the goddess, actually. It's a goddess that comes after the law. So in this mythology, in Sumerian mythology, the law comes out first, do, 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 you know, with the rising of the sun, mm -hmm. and then preceding 
after or from the law is justice. Um, it's tied to that. She is the goddess of justice. And so I translate Tzedek as justice. Um, the main conversation and disagreement is whether to call it righteousness or something else and how mishpat sets in and is distinct from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, righteousness as an English word is, is fairly modern uh, in, in the conversation. It's a, a Tyndale, I think, word. Oh, oh yeah. Um, um, and so I feel like there's potentially some room there to push that in um, that uh, righteousness is something that came about through the English translation of the Bible um, that gets used kind of uh, interchangeably. It's not very specific. Right. Um, I just looked it up, and you're correct. Tyndale um, made it up when he was translating Matthew. Um, and I mean, if you want to think about it, you can even think of righteousness as justice lived out. Hmm. It just has different correlations to it. If, you know, growing up in the church, if I hear righteousness, yeah. I need to work on my righteousness. I think of checking all of the behavioral boxes. And if I think of justice and thinking about these are the ways that things should be in the world yeah. according to God and a lack of violence and ability of freedom for everyone to flourish, right? And so they carry really different weight. Right. Well, and again, part of that might... Uh, also be the uh, shortcomings from Greek, mm. which just has, I, I think it's DK, which okay. is what they use for both righteousness and justice, mm. um, right? The, the concept um, that we have is doesn't translate well mm. uh, when looking at the Greek. And when you take the Greek and you look at like the Septuagint, Right, you're going to run into problems again where they're taking both the Hebrew words and just translating them as one word. Right. So, not not ideal. Um, the other word that gets translated justice that people say, well, then what about this one? Is mishpat. Um, the M at the beginning of mishpat means place of, and the word shofet is justice. is judge. Okay. So very specifically, it's the thing, <laughs> the place that the judge has ordered. So we see Deborah, right? We see all these other judges in the book of Judges um, and Joshua come up with things that need to be done in order to reestablish justice. Okay. But um, so I prefer to translate Mishpat legal judgment or legal justice because it's specifically coming from a judge who sits in the gates or under a tree or whatever. Um, there is also plenty of other places. Usually once we get to the prophets, translators start um, translating tzedek willy-nilly. So I'm not like way out on a limb here by wanting to say it's justice. I'm just establishing my viewpoint. Right. Okay. Well, and if any of, our, if any of our listeners have a, um, you know, argument that they want to present about their use of righteousness, be interested to hear that. So. Yeah, I mean, we're staying all the way from the Paul, like, what are the implications? Right. I'm just telling you what the text says. Yeah. Okay. Moving forward. Uh, verse 7. Mm -hmm. uh, he said to him, I am Yahweh that caused you to leave from Ur of Kashtim to give you this land to possess. Uh, again, this idea of possession. But I wanted to look at this, uh, I am Yahweh that caused you to leave from Ur of Kashtim, mm -hmm. because I find that significant because 
uh, that's pre-Avram in the narrative highlighted, right? That's um, Terach that mm. leaves from Ur of Peshtim. Right. <laughs> Avram didn't do that. Yeah, so it's a family bird's eye view yeah. of identity. And that- I've always had this thought of did God show up to Terach first mm-hmm. and Terach only made it as far as Haran and stopped. Yeah. And then God shows up to Avram to continue this family calling. This family calling, this journey with the family that he has chosen to partner with. Right. Um, and I feel like this might lend itself to that theory, um, mm-hmm. which um, I like I like that idea because... Um, he definitely caused him to leave through Tarach, right? Avram yeah. wouldn't have had much of a say in it. Yep. So. Okay. And then we have uh, Avram referencing God again as Lord in this Lord vassal relationship. And he says, In what will I know I will possess it? Yeah, which is looking, so human. Looking for a sign. I need something that I can look at to trust because your vision is going to disappear. I need something. Um, to experientially know, right, that I will possess this. Yeah. And so, boy, oh, boy, does he give him an experience. He does. And and it's interesting. Is this, I don't know that it mentions what is being used in covenants before this. Mm. In covenants? No, it just says that they cut a cut agreement. Right. Right. Yes. So it is interesting. Um, I know you were talking with your students a while back about how the three, like, why are they three years old? And you linked it to the patriarchs, um, potentially, you know, other than just the ethics of not killing baby animals. But but then also not like the old grizzled ones. Uh, I thought, what if each of them are one of the patriarchs as long as we're in mystical land? Okay, so (laughs) he's calling Avram a cow. But a circling cow, right? That's what Avram does. He's wandering around. And then, you know, goats are pretty stubborn. Stubborn. And Yitzhak is like redigging these wells. There's the ram on the mountain. Um, There is the ram that grows well. It's a little bit of a stretch. That's later. But Jacob's personality is extremely butting heads, which is what rams do, right, with their giant horns. Yep. So maybe there's something there. I think that's kind of fun. But then I think that the nestling that doesn't get cut is potentially supposed to be um the baby right because it's a baby bird Mm. specifically Mm -hmm. is what that nestling is and then so maybe that makes the turtle dove sarah Sarah, i don't know just an idea um but the theory that we've talked about before vulnerable nesting could be moses in the basket and so a searching turtle dove would be joseph oh oh boy yeah searching for for power. Okay. Not a JoJo stan over here. No, but, I apologize. You know, s- searching for safety for his family. Not being in a prison all the time. Or that a pit. too. Lots of, searching for lots of lots stuff. Of he stuff. had a troubled childhood. <laughs> he has a troubled life in general. Um, okay. But so this is a blood path covenant. Um, and so our particular theory about this is God says to him, you're going to actually have a son that's your son, right. right, from your soft parts. Yep. And so he says, well, great, my wife's barren, so you must be bringing me a new wife. Because yep. what's a blood path covenant for? A couple of different things, but one of them is for an engagement ceremony slash wedding, right? So it's like, potentially, he makes this blood path covenant to say, okay, I'm ready, God, where's this new lady? Not imagining Sarai to be part of the story that God is telling. Right, it hasn't mentioned 
mentioned Sarai at all in this chapter in his conversations with God. Right. He's totally leaving her out. And so potentially that's why God leaves him to try to fend off the birds, which hilariously doesn't say, you know, he was waving his arms at them. It says he's blowing on them. <laughs> yes. I just think that's great. No, um, it, it is a great image of him sitting there and yeah. blowing. Yeah. 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 It's good. It's good stuff. And then a heavy snoring sleep gets dropped on him, just like Adam, right? Right. Just like the human. Yeah, so just like in the garden, we have this parade of animals in which God is putting before Adam, uh, and Adam is unable to find a suitable helper. Right. Right, that's the point of that story. Right. Here we have these animals. And it says he took them to himself, which is the exact same way that it describes um, marriage ceremonies after mm. Lamech, everybody's mm -hmm. favorite character. Instead of getting married, he, they took them. Yeah, so well, it's that and again. he gave each to call to its neighbor is an interesting way of saying things. It is. It's definitely, I mean, everybody else translates that probably rightly to be that they were set across from each other, right? Because right. they're cut in half, so they're not going to be doing any calling, yeah. hopefully. Well, but um, what about God says that uh, Abel's blood is calling out from the ground? That's true. That's Could true. Could be something there. Yeah, there is lots of Torah about how we're not supposed to dump animal blood on the ground. Right. So, hmm. Okay. Um, yes. So, again, potential marriage things. We're looking for Eve. Eve isn't coming. Right. And then we have this kind of indictment from God, right? They're going to serve a different nation. They're going to be oppressed by them. Um, yeah, which... Um... Yeah, getting into section 2, which is uh, verses 12 through 21. And one of the things I wanted to start out with that section is this conversation of the language in verse 12. When the sun was coming, a heavy snoring sleep fell upon Avram. And we were kind of discussing, like, what in the world? Is it nighttime? Is it daytime? Is it the daytime of the night? Is it the daytime of the night? <laughs> and, you know, generally we think Fly of this as being uh, uh, nighttime. Uh, if you look at the English translations, they usually say the sun was setting or the sun was going down. Right, which but, there's a word for descending, and right. it's not that one. And I want to point out, God just took Avram out of his tent to look at the stars. Mm -hmm. You don't do that and then have another nighttime. It's true. It's also hard to catch, what is it, a turtle dove in a nestling at night? So I can see it being later. but Well, unless he already had these things in his possessions. Yeah, it's hard to say. We would expect it to be the sun was descending, but maybe it's coming toward the horizon. I don't know, but it's the same word that's used for it walks in the door. Yeah. Um, which, hey, maybe there's something to do with the sun and justice again. Yeah. But who am I to say? Right. All right, so they're going to be guests in a land, uh, which is interesting, you know, not negative or positive. And then we go to serving, which is a little bit more negative. Right. Usually in the text, we don't think of it that way because we're, oh, we're going to have servant hearts because Jesus did. But previous to that, like your son will serve the other or your brother will serve you is a bad, that's a bad thing to happen. So then we go bad and then we have oppress them is 100% bad, right? For 400 years, which then gets switched to eras in the fourth era, right? They'll right. be freed, which is interesting because when you count up all the years from the generations, which you can do, uh, the rabbis even note that it doesn't line up right with being 400 years that they 
Okay. It was longer than that, but um, you can say, well, that was only the amount of time that they were actually slaves. They were in the land for longer. So there's other things you can do, but but just pointing that part out. And again, we have sub, uh, possession come up again. Right. In verse uh, 14, after this, they shall leave in great possession, right. which speaks back to their uh, uh, Avram's previous Egypt experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, uh, maybe he catches that there. Uh, on purpose. On yeah. purpose, right? Because in this narrative, in this chapter, it's it's God that is bringing this about as opposed right. to Avram way back. Um, in chapter 12. In chapter 12. Well, I mean, God's the one who does that too because he brings a plague. Uh-oh, plague imagery. That's true. Exodus upon Pharaoh. And here he's also subjugating them into justice. So that's the Dean word again, which we talked about last right. week or two weeks ago because of VK. Um, but yeah, there's this promise that, you can trust that justice will be done to Mitzrayim. Um, and maybe we could look at that more when we're doing our theology mm. of like, why were there all these freaking plagues? Like, well, he said subjugated to justice. So yeah, there you go. means a bunch of frogs, I guess. Right, right. Um, yeah. Well, in verse 15, I'm curious about the fact that it says, you shall come to your fathers in peace and will be buried in a good great age. And this idea of him coming to his fathers is interesting. Normally we think of Avram as the father and everybody passed him, right? It's right. The, uh, Abraham's bosom imagery, right? right? It's all about Avraham. You'll but, be alone in heaven. <laughs> right, yeah, but what about him, right? And this is mentioning coming to your fathers in peace. Yes. Uh, after he dies is, is, is interesting. Like, what does that say about where his fathers go? It is. It is super interesting. Good on the DL uh, theological point there, George. But It yeah, is an interesting theological discussion. All of I'll, his I'll pagan, leave that go there. <laughs> yeah, all of his pagan ancestors, which again, communal culture, which is in the Bible, including the New Testament, the great cloud of witnesses, right? It was a big mm-hmm. part of what it meant to be a person of faith, to believe that your ancestors are present with you um, and so you finally go to them in peace in a good gray age um, which by the way that peace is echoed like one line later when totally bizarrely out of the blue he says the twistedness of the emory is not yet complete the word complete is the word shalom hmm. as well so you yeah. come to your father in completion the twistedness of the emory is not yet complete um I have no idea what to do with like, why is God bringing in the Emory here? This is weird. I mean, I guess it's, you're not allowed to have the land yet because this one people group is still, I'm still giving them time to be chaotic. Uh, But it's, it's just not, it's weird. You know, we have all these people groups. Why is it that one? Right, right. Um, And interesting that God's chosen narrative is not that, Avraham will settle here. Mm, mm-hmm. um, also makes me think of Moses, who has this expectation of leading the people out of Israel into the promised land and right. doesn't actually make it there. It's through um, someone else. So, right. um, and it encourages this mentality about lineage, I think, mm. right? And your life being something bigger than just yourself, it continues on, right? Right, which both takes off the pressure and like, oh, I don't have to complete tikkun olam. I don't have to try to fix the world all in my lifetime. Right. But it also raises the pressure because especially in our American 
um, white parenting culture, it's so often so individualistic, like, oh, whatever my child wants to be, they should be, yay. Um, and of course, that's in response to some other things and very important and good and all these other ways. But the pressure, the responsibility, the kavod gets put on parents um, to make sure that they are completing tukun alam. They are putting the world back together. They are participating in this lineage that we've yeah. been working on. It's not just a go be free, go do your own thing, kid, as long as you can be independent and have some life skills. Um, yeah, becoming more communal means letting go of some responsibility, but also taking on some more um, to really to really invest in your kids in the direction and calling of their lives. Right. Yeah. All of that is, in, is, uh, important and part of God's plan right. um, for his people. So, um, moving forward in 17, I want to point out that it does say here when the sun came and it was dusk. <laughs> yep. Like if you're trying to track what's going on. If you're trying to track what's going on, good luck. The sun comes and it's dusk. So, yep. um, uh, look here, a smoking cauldron and a torch of fire pass over between these cut pieces. Yes. I love that cauldron part because it's the word for oven, which immediately makes me think of like a stove from the 1950s yeah. floating down the blood path covenant, which, you know, is very fun, but not accurate. So they used to bake their bread in like what we translate as oven is this big cauldron type thing right. because it has a lot of surface area that you can use for soup and stew and everything, but also that you can lay your dough to fry it. Yeah. It makes me think of like, uh, uh, is it, um, Daniel when the, the sons of the priest are, are taking the meat out of the cauldron mm. for themselves? I don't think that's Daniel, but I do know what you're talking about. Uh, I don't remember where it's from. I think that it's interesting because it's definitely a feminine image, right? This, like Sarah's the one making all the bread for the angels, um, which I think is coming up soon in chapter 18. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a home image. It's a female tasks image. But more importantly, it's smoke and fire, which is the first, one of the first, maybe the first image of God that everybody sees corporately um, in the in the wilderness, in the desert. God appears as right. a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, and here we have those things. Yep, um, and it comes back later, so we will get to that when it, it arrives. I know, man, it sure would be nice for a trinity if there was a third thing there, right? Yeah, okay. So verse 18, on that day, Yahweh cut Avram a cut agreement. And mm -hmm. uh, before, I feel like it's been Avram mm -hmm. doing these things. Mm -hmm. And this time, it's God doing the cut agreement. Right. So skipping the amazing, magical, Jesus gospel-oriented part of the blood path covenant that God's the one who goes through it twice rather than Avram. Here, Avram is a direct object. So what did Yahweh cut? He cut Avram. So super fascinating. All of these, it's not he cut for Avram. It's not he cut on Avram's behalf. It's he cut Avram. Mm. So Avram cuts all these animals and beats the vultures off of them. Um, and now God cuts Avram, and that's the cut agreement, which is kind of a foreshadowing to circumcision, maybe. Sure. Uh, but super interesting. And then does the final nail in the coffin of this promise, right? I'm giving you all this land. Right. Which I thought the the mention of the rivers was interesting. From the river of the Nile, Mitzrayim, the Nile, to the river Prat. Yep. Which, which we usually think is the Euphrates. Right. Which comes up 
previously in the four rivers in the garden coming out of the garden of genesis Mm -hmm. so um interesting that this river comes back yes so this is still a extremely live wire topic um because our friends in the mediterranean are continually bombing syria um whether they sometimes they take accountability for that and sometimes they don't uh but that land expansion is continuing partially because of the theology of this verse Mm -hmm. and verses like it that say well the land of israel should be from iran to egypt or into egypt haha so super sketch um but that's that's part of where it comes from right and uh, doesn't fit with the character of Ram, of Avram who waits for God to do these things. The character of David who waits for God to do these things. Right. Nope. Nope. But before we get in trouble, we'll wrap on up. This is a super long episode, hopefully making up for a week off and yep. then a week where you could hardly hear. Um, so hopefully that's enjoyable. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you. If you have questions or comments, feel free to send them in at elkriverfricks at gmail.com. All right. This has been the Text in Us podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will join us again in Chapter 16 for next week. All right. See you later.